This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Let me take you back to 1999. The average CD cost around $17. The market for recorded music was around $40 billion. And who ruled Billboard's year-end Hot 100 single list? Now, let's say you wanted to find something more interesting. You had to know more interesting people, people with better music collections than you. Maybe live near a cool record store or be willing to mine the blogosphere. That was how you escaped the tyranny of MTV's Total Request Live or the fast, consolidating radio industry that made the biggest artist inescapable. Backstreet Boys, live on MTV. Ask me what's on the top 40 charts today... Does it matter? I mean, long before the charts figure it out, TikTok users have made the decision for us. And that has music labels freaking out. It used to be, step one, put these writers in a room. Step two, put this song to radio. You know, step three, have an SNL performance. And now there's a really broad consensus that everything that used to work isn't. So what is the new path? Today, exploring that new path how TikTok became the new radio, and why going viral is the quickest way to get discovered. How it's changed our expectations about how a pop song should sound, how that's changing the very nature of the work for artists. I'm Audie Cornish, and this is The Assignment. Now, there have been seismic shifts for the industry before. We didn't pick 1999 at random. That's when Napster and illegal peer-to-peer downloads shook the industry. Then streaming went legit, changing the value and price of a song. And the very idea of a mainstream pop star started to wobble under the weight of a business model that had once mostly relied on recorded music sales. I think the last time that the music industry produced a mainstream star was Dua Lipa. Tatiana Sirisano is a music industry analyst and a professional music nerd, currently at Media. That's an entertainment industry consulting and research firm. As part of her job, she crunches a lot of data about you, the consumer. TikTok did two things that I think completely changed music, which is one, it opened to a discovery page, which no social media platform or at least no like mainstream one had really done that before. Usually you're opening to updates from your friends, but on TikTok, you opened up to just whatever the algorithm decided you might be interested in. And the second big impact for music was that it allowed people to really put their own spin on the songs that they were fans of and sort of participate in a way that hadn't existed on social before. TikTok really changed the game by sort of encouraging people to create music-based content Mm -hmm. where music wasn't just like in the background of something but it was kind of part of what you were creating. 
How does that change our expectations of what a pop song is? Yeah, I think we're getting to a place where younger generations expect to be able to participate in the content they're fans of rather than just kind of passively consume it. Um, And I think we're getting to a place where more often than not, the songs that kind of rise above the rest, part of the reason is because of listener participation. Like whether it's, you know, a trend on TikTok or whatever it is that people have sort of been able to make their own version and that's how the song has traveled or that's how it's had sort of like this cultural resonance. And some artists love that. Some artists hate it. So you've given me a sense of how the technology is changing, how we interact with the music. What more have you learned about how we're behaving as a result? Like, are we making mixtapes? Are we listening all the way through? Yeah. What does your company know, like, data-wise about, like, how we treat music now? Right. Younger people are engaging less with these kind of passive traditional forms of streaming, like listening to playlists, curated playlists that, you know, Spotify is giving you. But the other interesting thing is also how much more their music listening is song-based rather than artist and album-based, which is a challenge when you're an artist trying to break through and, you know, develop fandom. Um, So they they are much less likely to listen to full albums. We also find that a third of all consumers say they orient their music fandom around songs and not artists, which is still the minority, but a third is a lot. <laughs> on the one hand, you have people being more engaged, but on the other hand, we're finding that it's a lot harder for artists to break through because there's just so much music out there. I want to talk about the effect on the music itself. Yeah. Is it possible to reverse engineer a viral song? I think people have tried to reverse engineer viral songs. I mean, I, I say I think they definitely are trying all the time. Then I think also audiences on social media and younger generations, they can kind of like sniff out BS in a way that um, the music industry is learning. As an example of that, there's an artist named Gail who is signed, I believe, to Atlantic Records. And she was on TikTok asking fans in a post to come up with a name for a song and she would write that song and release it. So she was using TikTok to try and engage with her fans and give them, you know, what like we're saying, participation in what she's doing. And somebody commented, um, write a song based on the alphabet. And of course, she came out with ABCDEFU, which was a big radio hit. But somewhere down the line, some fans were doing some sleuthing and pointed out that the person who commented that on TikTok worked at Atlantic Records and said, oh, this is a marketing ploy. Oh, so that's what the marketing people are doing now. (laughs) Commenting. They're in the comments. And I just want to say, I don't know what went on behind the scenes. What, What I mean is that labels are definitely trying to reverse engineer these moments and audiences are getting good at trying to detect when something is um, is, a, is a ploy. Footnote here, Atlantic told The New Yorker that this was not, in fact, a marketing ploy. Don't you feel like you've lived through this, like, the lar- like a very big shift? Yeah. Yes. It, I just feel like it was radio, 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 radio. And then, like, in 1997, it was like a bomb went off. Yeah. And it completely changed how we thought of music, the concept of ownership, this whole, like, identity part of the music. Mm -hmm. 
like it just feels like we just happen to be around for this like very dramatic couple of years. Yeah. And in the past, it was always a format shift, right? It was like vinyl to CDs made a big difference and then CDs to streaming made a big difference. And now it's like we're still on streaming, but so much else has changed. Music has become a lot more fluid in that way, where when you release something, it's not the end of its life. It might just be the beginning, you know, where somebody might remix it and then you might say, oh, I actually like that remix. I'm going to release that officially as an artist. And there's just so many lives that a song can have after it's released. And it's not necessarily just going to stay in its static form. And that's a huge shift. That's music industry analyst Tatiana Sirisano with the consulting firm Midia. Hitmaking is more art than science, but one of our experts knows more than most, Cadence. She's been in the business since 2015. She's earned songwriting credits on hits by Beyonce, Ariana Grande, Brandy, and more. Working with artists, I think the first thing is having a conversation. I think that's what starts most sessions because you want to figure out what the artist wants to say and figure out the different ways or different experiences that you can pull from to create these songs. So, you know, being able to dig deep and get vulnerable or, you know, something interesting that happened or something they like that we can pull from. And once we lay some melodies down, mumble some words, you know, we pull from the conversations that we had and we try and create a concept around some of those conversations. And the structure of that song is like intro, verse, chorus, bridge. Ooh, a bridge. I haven't heard about a bridge in a while. I won't. (laughs) Um. (laughs) No, no. um. But you know what I mean? So, So how is that different? How has the... Search to Beat the Algorithm affected how you think about how that song should be structured. I mean, it definitely affects it. I think, you know, before I I loved writing a song and a pre-hook and a hook. And a, I did love writing bridges. <laughs> but I think that, you know, songs naturally, because people's attention span is so short, the song can be a minute, a minute and a half. And... The the point is, if this song is short and you, and it, you get to the point with it, then people are going to like it so much that they're going to want to repeat it and, and put it in a, in a loop. Okay, here's an example. Big T-shirt, Billy. Watch on my wrist, but I want that diamond. Talk crazy when I pull up inside. Rapper Armani White in this song. It's called Billie Eilish. Last February, Armani posted a 15-second TikTok of he and his friends jamming out to the clip. And it eventually got more than 4 million views. But it wasn't just about going viral. He asked his audience for help to get it to the next level. All right, I need your help. So the mix is done, the video is done, the merch is done. We just need a sample clearance. Uh-uh. Now, clearance can take anywhere from 8 to 16 weeks, uh-uh. unless we make it a priority for them. Uh-uh. If we get 100,000 pre-saves, we could prove this song is as big as we think it is, and they got to expedite Less than six months later, Armani was signed with Def Jam Records. Now, the way I told you that story makes it sound easy. It's not. You have literally the first 10 seconds, maybe less, to get people's attention. If you don't get the attention and like, you know, it's like you can build it up and build it up and build it up. And that moment might be in like second number 30 or 40 and like they may never even hear it. So I brought Cadence and Armani together 
to compare notes on the creative process and on how the drive to go viral can throw it off balance. He has lots of thoughts on what works and what doesn't. The first place I was ever, like, social media famous on was uh, Tumblr. And as I was trying to understand why, like, things went well on Tumblr, why things worked out, why things went up, it was really just, like, this idea of FOMO. Like, that's what the internet builds. It's this this idea of FOMO. Which is fear of missing out. That's, yes, I'm saying that for the olds. Yeah. So you're yeah, saying so, you are trying to create the, a feeling like if someone didn't catch your latest song, they had like missed out on something. If someone didn't catch this moment, not even my latest song, because I think I think in marketing, the best marketing happens when you don't realize that you're being sold something. So I wasn't trying to sell anybody like just directly like, yo, here's this song you're missing out if you haven't heard it. But just like, here's this experience. Let me create this room. Here's this room. You're missing out if you're not in this room. You're missing out if you weren't, if you didn't hear this song, if you can't play this song, if you don't know what this artist is, you're missing out if you weren't here today. You know, it's almost like it's like the lunch table. If you if you you know if you had a sick day at home and you came back to school and they like, yo, you missed what happened. Like it's it, it all. I wanted to create that. I wanted to create that lunch table experience the next day when you come back. Now, Cadence, I'm going to bring you in because when I listen to Better Off, there's a good 25, 30 seconds mm-hmm. of just like opening what I am familiar with, right? Opening sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. Uh, I think that it takes only 10 seconds. I mean, the attention span of people nowadays is like... Yeah, Barely. but I'm just saying there is a world where Better Off was a song that totally makes sense and made sense for the radio, and the way it opens is a part of that like traditional structure. Yeah, for sure. Because also the DJ used to talk over yeah. that. Back in the day, those long openings is when the DJ would be like, oh, it's your boy, blah, 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 right. and here's the new <laughs> burr, 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 and that would go for like 20 seconds. Totally. I think that with the Ariana song, well, first, it was an album cut, the the Better Off so it wasn't until, you know, Thank You Next and Seven Rings and like, you know, those have mm-hmm. a shorter... And these are the other songs that you've got songwriting credits yeah. on. So those like, you know, have a shorter intro. But essentially, I think with an artist like Ariana, who has a cult following, you know, and developed that over years and years and years, they will wait minutes <laughs> You did what I, you said exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> they will wait minutes to, you know, to hear her voice come in. Uh, so it doesn't matter how long the intro is, especially if you've developed that strong of a fan base. Mm-hmm. But I think but for a songwriter like yourself, what how is what Armani's doing affecting how labels and executives or how is that affecting the songwriting process from your position? I mean, what kind of pressure are they exerting on it? Yeah, I mean, I just I notice just from whether I'm playing songs for executives or playing them for artists, um, I think I can notice if they're engaged in the listening experience within those 10 seconds. And they ask, Mm -hmm. like, you know, a lot of times, like nowadays, it's like hook comes first. Like we want to get to the great part right away, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because they want to see if it's worth listening to the rest of it. Definitely changed my process because I've always like started songs where I'm just like, nah, intro and then verse. Armani, you seem to have nailed something about the medium in particular. And I think from Cadence's position where you've now been working more in that realm of like hits and hits that might have radio play, Mm -hmm. that there are differences in how you'd approach your work. No, exactly. I think I'm kind of in this world of like, how can I make something sticky? 
you know, how can I make something that's like infectious? And for me, you know, if you if you look at like um I take an example like Roddy Rich, uh Roddy Rich's song The Box. When that song came out, when it went uh platinum, it was uh it was really just like this concept of the what was the beat doing? Yeah. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily him doing anything. It was just him, you know, it was that it was that that sound, that effect. But it's something, it's something that it happens when the song starts that you're already engaged with. You know, it doesn't have to be the hook. It can be like an open line in the verse. Yep. It can be, you know, whatever that is. But it's something that like draws you in. It feels familiar and it makes you feel like you're a part of the experience. Totally. Like I mean, it said. could be a production thing, too, where it's just mm-hmm. a sound that really just like, you know, is like ear candy and you. You know, you remember it mm-hmm. or you can play right. one note of it and everyone knows what song it is. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because there is this phase and still is of dance challenges. Right. So there's the visual element. Then there's like captions. Am I like it feels like there's just other elements to making the music sticky in the way Armani's talking about. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so in Better Off, um, there's a lyric with Ariana where she says, Let's put this topic to bed and go f- on the roof. Let's put them topics to bed and go f- on the roof. Just to say that we did. And I think a lot of people were kind of like, whoa. You know, I wouldn't expect Ariana to say something like that, you know? Um, and, you know, just little things like that. So creatively, you're relying on the cultural understanding of her and her brand and juxtaposing that with this kind of raunchy idea. And and that's yeah, how you come to something that's, that's, as you say, like a little spark. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's, you know, there's other ways. Um, like I know Armani mentioned having a sample people are already familiar with that catches their ear mm-hmm. and makes them want to be engaged. That mm-hmm. happened with, you know, obviously Seven Rings. You know, you rep- you recognize the sound mm-hmm. of music. Yeah, you can't um, do better than Rodgers and Hammerstein, I think, oh, in yeah. terms of... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, catchy samples. So. Expensive. Yep. Oh, very expensive. <laughs> they took 90%. Really? Because it's their 90%. song. Yeah. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. So, Armani, this brings me back to you, because when I think of your song, you have the hookup first. Then you have a song that is, I would call, SEO ready, a search term, which is Billie Eilish's name, right? Just even the people who might go looking for that music and will end up mm-hmm. finding your song. Is that another one of your trinkets? Um, yeah, no, definitely. Because uh, 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 I was... I just like the idea of the challenge. I was like, I wonder if we can take over the SEO. Like, if, if, yeah. if one day we'll be able to, like, if you search Billie Eilish, we'll pop up. And we are. Like, Which we like, should I say that was... means search engine optimization. I know that yeah. sounds really nerdy, <laughs> but that's, again, a part of your uh, creative process now. Yeah. Never knew what SEO stood <laughs> for, did. but I knew what it was. Yes. Everyone's <laughs> learning things today. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, and, and then another trinket, I think, is, like, um, and this wasn't even for social media, but just really like for performing. And that's like uh, if you look at a lot of the records that happened on TikTok, this was before even TikTok. It was just me being a, a performer. Um, I would do my songs where the, the hook was really exciting, but the verse was just like a moment in space where we're waiting for the hook to come back. And I was like, you know, so as I started to perform more, I said, well, let me find different hooks to put inside of the verse. You know, let me find different little moments that can almost be 
like a hook. So even like, you know, in, in, in Billie Eilish, it's like it goes for a while and it's like, uh, or actually it's, it's kind of the same cadence the whole time. The detective, but I got everything I wanted as I'm extra. I am, no, 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 no. It's just the same cadence. And then right after that, it's like this idea is like the little bit thugging it for the free. I got it. I got it. Like my my nephew, who's one years old, he knows that part. Like he knows when it's coming up, he just goes. Hey! But it hits the ear because it's in another uh, pitch. Yeah, exactly. So it, it it catches it catches your attention, and it's something else that you can gravitate onto before the hook. So you're not just waiting for 50 seconds until the hook comes back around. And you so. don't have to give him 90. percent No. After the break, the TikTokification of music. And surviving as a songwriter. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Armani, do you or did you have a moment where industry executives came to you and and would be like, you seem to know how to make things Go viral, make us another one. The real response to that is that there's a time, there's like there's a certain amount of time and 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 dedication and consistency you have to put into making something really like go up or you know, like making sure everyone sees something. And uh because we're in this like microwave society, not everybody really understands that time span that like, you know, like Billy Eilish is like it took like the 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 initial TikTok went out and the song didn't drop until like March 19th. So it was like almost three months of me keeping the candle lit, keeping people excited, keeping people engaged, entertained, and having like, you know, just giving them a real timeline of this song for people to really be involved, invested, and like want to stand behind the song when it came out. A lot of times now it's like, we can do it still, but they're like, okay, do everything you did in three months and two weeks or less, maybe we can have. I mean, that's, that's 
what every executive is looking for, right? Every, you know, they walk into the room and when they're describing what they're looking for, they just say, yeah, we want a hit. We want something that's going to go viral. But they don't say we want a hit. We want it on the radio, right? Like what, how, how do they express their interest in social media? They pretty much say, hey, like something that will go TikTok viral. They, you know, they say that. They say we want a hit that can go TikTok viral. They might say. I, I hear that a lot. <laughs> we need a moment. We need another moment. Yes, and when they absolutely. say moment, that's all encompassing. It's TikTok, it's radio. They call it a moment. Yep. And Cadence, what do you do when they say that? I roll my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Of course, everybody wants that, you know? Uh, As a songwriter, you know, of course you want that. You want to be able to make money, pay your bills, and and experience that moment as well. Um, Not every song is a hit, though. Uh, You know, some songs are for the culture. Some songs are a vibe. And you can't predict what you're going to be able to create that day. You can try, but, you know, it doesn't always come that way. If what you're making in social media is viewed more as just kind of content, Mm -hmm. we go through this in the news as well, where we're providing content, whereas we Mm -hmm. used to think we were providing kind of service and information. Who is your real competitor? Like, is it about music competing with other music or... Are you just another thing that is competing for our attention? My competitor is you. <laughs> oh no! Well, um, then I'm no, I'm really no, no, screwed. No, <laughs> I'm, uh, nah, I'm I'm uh, I, on my side. I answer say I'm not competing with music as much as I'm competing with content. Uh, you know, like like even like my favorite podcast goes up twice a week. Um, you know, my like like my favorite Twitch streamer may stream three or four times a week, and that's like that's an endless supply of content. You know, that you might have gotten those four hours, whereas I might have given you one song a month. Um, I'm competing more so with those people than I am music because we're, you know, like at this point, it's less about uh, 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 what song we're playing. It's just like how how you can gauge somebody's attention. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, there's different that's it's still different avenues of entertainment for people or or informational things. Uh, but for for me as a writer, I feel like. It's not like a competitive thing. It's more like, how do I create or bring these emotions out again? I don't like thinking of songwriting as a competitive thing. I think of it as, well, how how much of a song can can I bring these emotions out of the consumers? Like, how many people can I affect in creating this song? I get the sense now... The current social media encourages interaction with the creator. Yeah. Cadence, you're nodding in a way that I don't know if it's intrusive. I don't know. I mean, different artists have different feelings (laughs) about it. But it's no longer you go off in a room and write and then everyone listens later on. Right. Yeah. So so I think. Most of those things were ancillary to the songwriting process, I'll say. Like, it was, you know, like like all of the things that happened as far as challenges, people remixing it, people like, uh, like there was like a Latin version of Billie Eilish that, that happened at one point. And like, there was a lot of these things happened after the song already came out. And but did you like, freak out and say, hey, that's my song, don't mess with it? No, 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 no. I, I think so. There, there was this, uh, there's this guy named Bob Leftsitz. Um, I used to, I used to be a part of his newsletter that was to get sent to my email every Monday. Um, and one of the things he's talking about was uh, how Prince used to fight 
the music industry so much his entire career he fought the music industry and uh one of the things that happened like in the napster era in the early internet era he just fought to have his music off of the internet right and and i remember this because this is a period where prince he changed his name mm -hmm. and he also had a mark on his face and sometimes would write slave on his face because he felt beholden to the record companies yeah but you're right when music started to be free he was not down with that the internet because of downloading things like that is kind of like a black hole and it's not that it's just about the money but it's about justice and fairness and they'll probably edit all of this out but right and so but as a result of which there's a big piece of our generation that is not as familiar with Prince as we are Michael Jackson as we are James Brown as we are a lot of these other predecessors that you know their music was free So when I look at that and I learn from that, I'm like, there's no reason for me to battle and fight against people taking the music and doing doing their own creative thing for I put it out in the world for it to belong to the world. You know, fundamentally, has the TikTokification (laughs) of music helped or hurt the industry or helped or hurt you as songwriters? Um, I think I think it's done a bit of both. Um, I think it helps in a sense where, great, that's a new way to get eyes and ears on the records that you create, um, which turns into more money, essentially. But it also sometimes waters down the songwriting process because now you're pigeonholed into like, okay, it has to go viral. So I have to make this sound like this or, you know, shorten the words or you know, do things that you don't normally do when just writing a song to write a song. You know, now you have to keep all these other things in mind in order to hit hard on TikTok. Or that's that's how it feels as a songwriter going into it. I say I say it helped me in a few different ways. One of the one of the main things was I think it, it created identity. So like I have I have I don't I don't know the numbers offhand, but it's like two hundred thousand followers on Instagram a million on TikTok and 300,000 on, on YouTube. Like, like just like b- really big numbers that I could never sit down and say, who are all these people? What do they all look like? And why do they all like me? Like, wh- what's the thing that really gravitates? Like, what what about this song do you even like? I don't make music for TikTok. I'm, I'm not in that crowd. I'm on the other side, but it helped me better with articulating myself in a way that other people can understand and connect with me. It was like... Let me use these elements with writing my music that makes me project myself and articulate myself better when I'm explaining how I feel in these Can moments. I, um, mm-hmm. uh, step in? I just want to say that even even if songs have the ability to go viral and you feel like you have to keep up that momentum or that type of style of writing, mm-hmm. there's so many human emotions that mm-hmm. we go through. Exactly. We're not always trying to have fun. Exactly. Sometimes we, we're looking for music that we can cry to. Exactly. Sometimes we're looking for, you know, those just different moods that we can relate to. So I don't feel like that would pigeonhole anyone. I just feel like people think, oh, this is going to work, so I have to keep doing it. And that's not really the case. Yeah, I think TikTok didn't make me try and make more viral songs, but it did help me with articulating myself as a writer because I had to watch other people listen to other music and see how they loved it for me to write better music. That's all I want to do is just write really good music. Yeah, 
I think I think too, like when you release a fun song like that and you engage a listener, now they want to know about you. They exactly. want to know who you are. Mm-hmm. So they're going to go deep into your catalog and they're going to like try and figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, having those different moments or showing that you have more records with substance, it just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, they can gauge who you are a little bit better. Exactly. Um, yeah. Which locks in core followers. Mm-hmm. Some great music comes from just substance and experiences that we've gone through. And that's how you relate to, you know, the audience, the demographic that listens to you. Being able to do that and also, you know, make music that's fun and brings people's moods up, I think is a magical experience. That was Cadence, a songwriter based in Los Angeles and rapper Armani White. His newest EP is called Casablanco. That's it for this episode of The Assignment. If you liked it, recommend it to your friends. If you love it, leave us a good review. And if you have an assignment for us, give us a call and leave a voicemail. The number is 202-854-8802. You can also record a voice memo. Email that to us at theassignment at cnn.com, all lowercase. Now, The Assignment is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Jennifer Lai and Madeline Thompson. Our producers are Carla Javier, Lori Gallaretta, and Dan Bloom. Our associate producer is Isoke Samuel. Our senior producer is Matt Martinez. Mixing and sound design by David Shulman. Dan DeZula is our technical director. The executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Special thanks to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish, and thank you for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.